0: me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity again. And we sing these songs and we, we stand in awe of who you are. And so tonight we, we know we've seen the crowns, we've heard about the crowns, and, and here we can sing, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. And then to know that, that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, may we really get the priorities right, that even all my possessions and all my life even, that you, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, remain our lives, that we, all of our life revolves around you. And then, Lord, we, we are so thrilled to know that you will be with us every step of the way no matter what the belief is about whether we will be raptured out of here or whether we will be here for part of the tribulation or what, but to be able to sing a song that says, help me, Lord. And we know that we can count on that. Whatever you have for your children, we know that your help will always be there. And then to know that all can be well with our soul. And when it is, we can take this whole section from 6 to 20, all of the judgment, and know that when our soul is well, that soul will be reunited with a brand new body and we will reign with you forever and ever. Other, it's beyond our human comprehension, but you want us to know it, so we're going to grasp it tonight. Now we just pray for a a fresh anointing over this place, over our own heart, that we will concentrate. We're covering a lot of territory, there's a lot going on, but Lord, we want to catch as much as we can because we know we're supposed to know this, or it wouldn't be here. So, Lord, help us to really desire to want to hear from your spirit tonight we do not want to miss it and we pray this all in our savior's name who makes it all all possible for us or there would be no point so lord thank you for again for this night and this opportunity and we will truly praise your name in your name alone amen probably more than ever we need to say this tonight okay (laughs) so this is my this is my bible I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. So, Revelation chapter 6. We left um, last week with hearing hearing the sounds of heaven, getting a glimpse of seeing heaven the way it is even right now, not the new heaven, the the way the heaven is um, right now. We we see and hear all what's going on that was glorious, but then we moved to chapter five and and we saw that you know the whole the whole idea last week was around the throne and how Jesus sat on the throne in Chapter Four, and how the Father sits on the throne in chapter five and and he 's holding this scroll that 's written on both sides there 's a lot of plans on there there 's a lot going on, and he 's sitting there with that scroll, the deed to planet earth and and An angel said, is anybody worthy to come and take the scroll and begin this process, to start this judgment? Because it must, this must take place. We can't have the rest without this having to take place. So who can come? And no one came, and John wept and wept, and you know, if no one came to start the process, if no one came to start and open the scroll and the seals, then then the cross was nothing. The cross was for nothing. It, Jesus' work was not accomplished, and and I mean, all is lost. Especially us. I mean, that was major. And then when that elder said, "Oh, don't don't weep," there is someone worthy, and Jesus, with all authority, stood up and took the scroll from the father's hand, and and all of. The universe everywhere erupted in praise because, see, they knew it had to get going. It had to start. And so, you know, are we moving now into the tribulation? Some people say we're in the tribulation now. I, I don't see it because it's so distinct. I, I think when you read it this week, you could see that it's going to be noticeable, and I know things are not good, and we have a lot of earthquakes and all, you know, things. But it is not. We are not there yet. But it's coming, and we want to be ready and prepared. And so we start, and that's why this information is here. It is. It is so that we do know. And like I like I prayed tonight. You know, some people believe that we're going to be raptured. Have you ever heard of the the um? pre-trib people and then the mid-trib people and then the post-trib people. You know, there's so many different ideas. And I think scripture does show us some some, you know, some real good angles and that I think does lean in one way. And, and and I kinda look at Billy Graham and, and David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley and Chuck Siddall and and all of them and they all believe that we're gonna be raptured out of here. And you know, we could be taken before the tribulation starts, wouldn't that be great? Or we could be pre-trib or mid-trib, and that is, you know, right after the three and a half years before the bulls of wrath. That's maybe when we could be taken out of here because it isn't appointed God's children to deal with his wrath. And then there's some that think we'll be going through the whole thing. So um, whether, and you know what, that's not going to take away at all from the lesson tonight because whether we are not a participant in what's coming, or um, it's still important that we know, because when you read this, would you wish this on your worst enemy? I don't think so. And so it's really something that we want to... um, understand so that we can it can motivate us to to we've got work to do. there's so many people who do not understand the intensity and the severity of judgment. I mean I can't reiterate enough. it is going to happen. and we just want to make sure that we're ready either way. So okay, so we're starting chapter six. And like I said, I won't be reading every every word, but we'll cover a lot of territory. Now, John said, I watched the lamb open the first of the seven seals. So John said, I watched the lamb. So Jesus is the one who's opening the seals one at a time. And obviously, when you when you saw that, I mean Judgment could have been in just a snap of a finger, but because of God's grace and his mercy and his love, he is still going to give opportunity, and yet he is going to be severe. He's going to do it. He's going to start tough, but he's going to get tougher, so the seven seals, even though they're the the lightest ones, it's still major. But it's gonna get tougher. But he does that. He doesn't want anybody to miss. So when these seals are open, it's, it's nothing to poo poo because they are very severe. But then look, it says, then I heard one of the four living creatures saying in a voice like thunder, Come, come. Johnson and I looked, and then he started to see. And then the first seal was opened. The lamb opened up the second seal, and then the third seal, and then the fourth seal, and the fifth seal, and the sixth seal. And before the seventh seal opened, look at verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains, They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So to hear this kind of language, you know that those first six seals were very, very difficult and very noticeable. And you would even think by now they would be saying, this is this is not normal. This is the hand of an almighty God. So let us acknowledge, let us turn from our wicked ways and let's acknowledge who he is. You would think that. Now between the sixth and the seventh seal. Look at chapter 7. Look, look at look at God's love. Between the sixth and seventh seal, he says, After this, John said, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. So there was a pause. There was a pause on earth. And and according to chapter 8, the first verse, there was a pause in heaven. So God stopped God stopped things for about a half hour. Whether it's for to get people to get their bearings, for them to kind of sit up and take notice and realize what's going on. But the seventh seal is a pause on earth and in heaven. But then look also, 144,000 Are sealed. They're sealed with protection. They're sealed because nothing is going to be able to hurt them because they have a job to do. It says here that um, there were 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. So 144,000 people are going to be sealed to be able to be sent out. It's like 144,000 evangelists. So this is our sign that there's going to be chances for people. It's not going to be easy. It isn't going to be pretty. They most likely will be martyred within a very short time, but there is opportunity. Our God, it's not his will that any perish. Now, we're going to see tonight where... He cuts it off and said, you know what, that's it. They've had enough warnings. They've had enough chances. But right now, between the sixth and seventh seal, before you know, before the trumpets start, you're going to see this um, 144,000 evangelists get sent out. I remember Ann Graham saying, just picture this, 144,000 Billy Grahams were sent out. You know, and that kind of gives you an idea of God's love, wanting to keep his message out there. And then in this pause, in this pause for about a half hour, you know, and it had to have been quite a a sound of silence because, I mean, look at the first six seals. I mean, boom, boom, There, there was a lot of noise there. There There was a lot of things there. A lot of things happening so this one half hour of pause I think was very important and then and then look it says on verse 2 of chapter 8 and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets so now the seven seals have been opened now the angels are going to be sounding the trumpets one at a time But then look what happens before the trumpet sound, before the first trumpet sounds. Look at verse 4. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from that altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there were peals. There came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So listen to that sound. I mean, you picture that angel taking from that altar of, of prayer to filling that censer with fire from that altar. And then picture that that angel hurling, that word hur- hurling, it to the earth. And then all of a sudden, all that all that sound, peals of thunder, rumbling, splashes of lightning and an earthquake. I don't dare say the pause is over. And now we move into the trumpets. Now, God's judgment are in these chapters. That's why we're doing it all at once. God's judgment is from 6 to 20. He does it very precisely. He does it very meticulously. He does it progressively. And he uses provisions in chapter in chapter 8 when the trumpet starts sounding you're going to see his preciseness and you'd think that too would be such a you know come on look at when the first angel sounded his trumpet there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down upon earth and a third of the earth was burned up a third of the trees When the second angel sounded his trumpet, a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet. And look, a third of the waters turned bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet. A third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of them, a third of them turned dark. And look, a third of the day was without light, and a, and also a third of the night. So, wouldn't you think, in this kind of precision, wouldn't you think that that would be noticeable? And that was God's intent. Only He could do it like that. Verse 13, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, woe, 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 capital W, exclamation point, three woes. And those woes were said to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. So we have three more trumpets to be sounded. But like I said, it's progressively going to be getting worse. In fact, it warranted a woe every time. So the final three trumpets. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. This one is, it's the fifth trumpet, but it's the first woe. And I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Now keep in mind the abyss is not hell. It is it is similar, but it's not hell. Hell does not open until the no, chapter 19. So it says that this, this star that had fallen, the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss and when he opened the abyss smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace and I mean what a visual huh what a visual and this and the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke of, from the abyss and out of the smoke here we go the locusts came down upon the earth and they were given power like scorpions and and the only people that weren't stung were the ones That had been sealed, the hundred and forty-four thousand. And it was so bad. Look at verse six, chapter nine. During those days, men will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. And then verse 12: the first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. Verse 13 the sixth angel sounded his trumpet this is the second woe now we talked last week about angels that are creatures created by god with a purpose in mind now look at here look at here's four angels that were created for just this specific Job, Verse 15, and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues. So in other words, they were, they were created to be a part, to be released, to kill a third of mankind. Verse 18 says they did their job. They were killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. Now, look at verse 20. Now, I know we're moving through, but, but here, between the seals, if we're going to take the literal time of seven-year tribulation, the seals and the trumpets will take approximately three and a half years. And so a lot has happened. I mean, you've got a third of creation that's gone. You've got a third of mankind that's gone. I guess I'm just aghast at, at how, what evil is, how great evil is, the intensity of, of people's hard hearts. And they don't care, and how self is just all that they want. Because look, the, verse twenty. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. It didn't phase them. It didn't phase them. Now, between the sixth trumpet, the second wall, and the seventh trumpet and the third wall, God does a lot, works a lot of provisions. Because, you see, once the seven trumpets have sounded, well, you're going you're gonna to see there pretty much is no more chances. So in the first three and a half years, he's giving these provisions to wake them up, to get them to see. And you'd think between the seals and these trumpets, they would have been noticing So he's got these 144,000 out there doing their job, spreading the gospel. And then we have chapter 10. Look at this. Then I saw, John said, another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll. He was holding a little book. It, it, was, it was probably similar to the one that the Father had in his hand that Jesus came and took. Now, it is not that big. It's not writing on both sides. No, it's a little scroll. It's probably a condensed version. So after three and a half years, maybe people have forgotten. Maybe they've, they've kind of lost that intensity Maybe they need to be reminded of what this is all about. So he's holding a little scroll, verse 2, which lay open his hand. And look at this angel. He planted his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. He commanded attention. He commanded authority. And when he shouted, the voices of seven thunders spoke. See, I was intrigued with that. I was intrigued with the seven thunders. What is that? We know seven is the complete perfect number. So seven, the voice was like, well, I heard a voice from heaven. I heard the seven thunders speak. And if you go to, if you study hard enough, I'm convinced, and if you, if you really want to connect all the dots, and this, I was searched it out, and I found in Psalm 20, 29, Psalm 29, it says seven times the voice of God. And I thought, you know what the seventh thunder is? It's simply the voice of God, not an angel not Jesus. It's the voice of God. And when the seven thunder spoke, I was about to write, I'm, I'm sure he was. I'm sure when John heard God's voice, I'm sure he was running for his pen because he did not want to miss a word. And then I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. I'm sure that was a surprise for John. What? Don't write down what the voice of God says. But to me, I thought, you know what? That's so comforting that God sometimes says, you know what? You're, you're not going to understand all this. And there are some things I just don't want you to know yet. I don't want it all to be clear to you. I want some trust and that you just trust me in this plan of judgment that I know what I'm doing. And so he didn't. So the voice said, seal up with the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. But then, look at it, continues. And the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. There's going to be no more delay. There's going to be no more chances. There's going to be no more turning back. There's going to be no stopping this now. No stopping this. Now, there is something more about that little scroll. Verse 9, so I went to the angel and I asked him, John said, to give me the little scroll. And the angel said to me, okay, take it, take it and eat it, eat it. And then he went on to say, it will, you know, it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. John took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. So what is that little scroll? What is the big scroll? It is God's word and plan. And I kind of thought of this book, this, this Bible, God's word. Every word is true. And I started to think, how can God's word taste like honey in my mouth? And yet, when it becomes a part of me, it almost turns my stomach sour. And I thought, oh, of course. We love to read portions of scripture that just, you know, make us feel good. And it, it's, it talks about the greatness of God and his love for us and all that. But then all of a sudden, when it starts connecting, but because God's God loves us. This is what he expects. He expects us to humble ourselves to the point of almost crawling to the cross, knowing that we are such pathetic sinners in need of a Savior. He exposes us for what we really are. All of a sudden, you feel the guilt. You start feeling that I'm being exposed, and all of a sudden, you're just laid out. And you know what? That that lays like... A sour stomach. God's word is both. It is wonderful. And every word is true. And it is glorious. But it does tell us what he expects from us. And yes, there are parts of it that that do sour our stomach. Because you know why? We have to see ourselves. And then the last verse of chapter 10, then I was told, Johnson, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. you got to, we're running out of time here. You've got to keep God's word going in these last days. You've got to make sure because it is the only book that's the truth. And whether it turns like, your stomach stomach sour, that that will then cause you to look at yourself and do something about it. So I thought that was a very big visual. That was a very big provision. Don't forget. And then another before, another provision that God had in the first three and a half years that was going to come to a close right here in the center of the judgment. And you would have thought that this too would have been so noticeable. You've got these two witnesses. And in verse 3, he said, I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. So these two witnesses are going to stand in the center of Jerusalem. And for three and a half years, they are going to proclaim the same thing that the prophets did in the Old Testament. You have to repent. And if you do not repent... That's a big if. If you don't repent, you have to suffer the consequences. And these two witnesses, and it doesn't say who they are, but it is kind of, I think I enjoyed thinking about who could they have been? Who would have done the job? Who would have dared be that bold and for three and a half years not give up? And just stand there, even the people walking by saying, all oh, these two old men, look at look the way they're dressed, sackcloth, preaches nothing but doom and gloom. Oh, I mean, you know, it was nonstop for three and a half years. And but they wouldn't give up. Who would do that? Oh, you know, think about Elijah and Moses at transfiguration. Elijah representing the prophets, Moses representing the deliverance. Could it be Elijah and Enoch? Neither one of them in scripture died. We don't know. We don't know. But it was two witnesses that loved the Lord enough that they were willing to be able to stand here for three and a half years. And, and look, look. Verse 5, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their, their enemies. And this is how and anyone who wants to harm them must die. In other words, there's going to be fire coming right from their mouths, and they'll be incinerated right there. Anybody who tries to put a hand on them. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood, strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Again, I say, you would think that people would, t- would sit up and take notice to these two witnesses. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast which is the Antichrist that comes up from the abyss. See, in the middle of the tribulation, after the first three and a half years, see, this Antichrist is not going to look like an Antichrist at the time. He's going to look like the leader of the free world, and he is going to be the answer to everybody's problems, and, and he is just going to look so wonderful. But something happens after three and a half years. And he's going to come out of the abyss because he is, going to, he is going to have a fatal wound. And because of the power of evil, they, it's, they have, evil has power too. And he's going to be raised up, but now he's going to be taken on the character of the devil himself. So now, the beast that comes from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies of the two witnesses will lie in the street of the great city, which is Jerusalem, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, but where also their Lord was crucified. So, you know, big hint there. It's Jerusalem. But why is Jerusalem known at this time as Sodom? And it, it's because this city of God was so immoral. And why was it called Egypt? Because God's people were just being treated terrible with the opposition and slavery. And for three and a half days. Days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Can you imagine for three and a half days these these two witnesses are dead and laying in the center of Jerusalem. No one has enough compassion or courtesy to bury them. In fact, they're so thrilled. Look at this. In verse ten, the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Oh, sure they tormented them. They made them see themselves, and because evil was running so rampant, they just thought, "Well, let's get rid of these two, and then we won't, you know, then then our problems are solved. We don't have to keep hearing these old goats keep reminding us of who we are." And so now when they're laying there dead, they're so excited. Let's, let's have a party and with gifts and everything. Oh, look at verse 11. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet. <laughs> it's, they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice. So everybody that is is wondering, you know, they're having their big, you know, party with gifts and everything. And all of a sudden, the breath of life, God's breath comes and breathes life into these two. And they stand up on their feet. And they hear this voice from heaven saying to these two, come up here. Come up here. Your job is done. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. You're going to hear me say this all the time, but don't you think by now they would say this is not normal. That this is the hand of an almighty God here. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in this earthquake. Now the survivors... Look at the survivors were terrified and they gave glory to the God of heaven. So at least I don't know what happened to them if they totally turned to the Lord, but at least for now, you know, I think they're probably scared silly. And so they give glory to God. Now the second woe has passed, and now the third woe, which is the seventh trumpet. So here, a lot of action between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. Because once that seventh trumpet sounds, it's all she wrote as far as no delay. It's no turning back. Judgment comes in full force. So, I mean, you still see God's love pouring out. But now... It is the seventh trumpet, and in verse 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven. I don't say this lightly, and I don't mean to be silly, but it's like they they wanted to encourage. I think they wanted to encourage Jesus to continue on. Because I think it just breaks Jesus' heart to know that this is it. And people are going to go to hell. And I, I look at this, and, and so this, when the seventh trumpet was sounded, These voices were loud and they said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying we give thanks to you Lord God Almighty. The one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great. It's time. Then God's temple in heaven was opened And within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came, here's that sound again, flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. The seventh trumpet has sounded. In chapter 12... The way the book of Revelation is laid out, it's like in this horrendous time right now, before it just all breaks, the ultimate bowls of wrath get poured out. It's like we see this chapter a reminder, a reminder of our salvation and how we are able to have salvation. It is not anything of us a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in the front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Sorry, Mr. Red Dragon, it didn't work. But look at just a reminder that God used the nation of Israel, chose that nation to bring his son through. The woman is the nation of Israel. The dragon is saying it could be King Herod. Because look at when Jesus was born, look how quick King Herod said, every child, every male child under the age of two. See, Satan was trying to do anything he could to keep Jesus from going to the cross so that there would be no hope for any of us. Verse 7 and there was a war in heaven. I think we need to be reminded how Satan came into being, how Satan um, has been the instigator. This to me was. Such a good chapter. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Now, if you were like me... I said to myself, did that happen twice? And then I searched and I found, you don't have to turn to it, but if you want to mark it in your Bible, because it's fascinating reading. Sometimes if you want to know how Satan really, how this all transpired, Ezekiel Ezekiel told the story. This is great. Ezekiel chapter 28. Because Satan, this was before God, you know, before Genesis 3. Because we know Satan had already been kicked out of heaven because then he turned into this gorgeous serpent that then brought sin into the world through Adam and Eve. We know that story. Listen to Ezekiel. Actually, Ezekiel is writing it down, but you're going to hear God say, You were anointed, Satan, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. I created you. You were once this beautiful cherub. You had jobs to do. I ordained this for you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Though through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom. Isn't that what we have learned? Satan, he blew it when he started thinking that he was just as equal to God. And we have a jealous God who does not share who he is. So Satan's mind was corrupted. His, with the wisdom that he was making this, oh, I'm God too. No. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. And the 19th verse of that chapter says, all the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end, and you will be no more. That's Ezekiel. So then what happened back to Revelation 12? And I think this is a hard concept, and I wouldn't make it up, but I feel Scripture proves this, that And one of the main reasons why we are going to need a new heaven is because even though Satan was was kicked out of heaven, so to speak, he still had access. And we know that because in Job chapter 1, it said the Lord in his place with his angels praising. So we know and we've seen in Revelation 4, we've gotten a glimpse of what goes on in heaven. But then the Lord turns Because he probably senses, he turns and and he says, where did you come from? And it's Satan. And Satan says, well, I've come from the earth and I'm just, you know, going around seeing what I can do and who I can get. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So this conversation was going on. So, to say that, you know, yes, he was kicked out of heaven, but he still had this access. God still conversed with Satan. He still gave Satan permission. But now, in Revelation 12, yeah, he does get kicked out this time, and there's going to be no more access. Listen to this. So, yes, Michael and the angels, they fight him. he loses their, he loses this fight. The great dragon verse nine was hurled down. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him, and then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, "Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God. Day and night has been hurled down." And then look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. That's what it says. See, there's no more time for Satan to go back up. He is down. And see, this is when his fury comes alive. This is in the middle of the three, this is in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. This is when he enters the Antichrist. He knows his time is short and he is gonna pull out all the stops. Chapter 13 kind of tells us, you know, it kind of describes that John said, I saw beasts beast coming out of the sea, and this this is the Antichrist. And and he has seven heads with ten crowns on his horns and on his head, a blasphemous name, Antichrist. I would say it doesn't get much more blasphemous than that. And then it said the dragon gave gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. See, the dragon, Satan, gave the Antichrist his power, his authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had been given authority. Because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words, blasphemies, and to exercise his authority for 42 months, three and a half years. Verse 11 Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He exercised, verse 12, he exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. This is the false prophet. But look what the power he has. Because of the signs, verse 14, he he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed he forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. You calculate that number, and that number is six 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 It's bleak, it's bad. But then chapter 14, it's just one of those times that it's just, it's, it's just like a hug. It's just like a, like a reminder. Because remember, John was w- witnessing all this. And it, it, he's thinking, it's just, you know, this is just, I'm sure he couldn't even put it into words. Like, I can't even put it into words. But look in chapter 14. John says, then I looked. Then I looked, and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion with him, 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Don't you find that that is just the character of God? When we can't seem to see any light, when we think that all looks hopeless, it seems like all of a sudden he just comes and you can't help but love that. When John said, I looked and, oh, there before me was the lamb. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. Look, at you can be in the middle of all this and yet you can still have joy. We talked about what the harps stood for. And look, they sang a new song before the throne. And before the four living creatures and the elders, no one could learn this. No one could learn that new song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Okay, again, I repeat before the seven bowls of wrath starts, it's like he's got the Lord says, okay, I'm going to try one more provision. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Picture that an angel flying in mid-air so they could definitely see and he's shouting the gospel he's saying fear god time is running out there's not going to be any more chances we are on we're on limited time here fear god acknowledge who he is acknowledge who you are give him glory because judgment is coming The one who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, the spring waters. I mean, don't you think that they would have thought, that's good advice. It's time for me to make a change. It's time for me to look at this and see God's hand. Okay, second angel. Second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. We're going to talk about what the Babylon really stands for, but actually if you just want to, this second angel is saying, you got to take a look at sin and see what sin has done. Take a look at evil and rebellion and see what it's done and where it's gotten you. Wake up calling. The third angel, the third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath, which is coming and then there's going to be no more chances so he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever there is no there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name you talk about a warning of consequences the first angel said Here's the gospel for you. It's right here for you. Worship him. Acknowledge him. Second angel said, take a look at your sin. Look where it's gotten you. The third angel comes and says, you want to know? You don't want to listen? Okay, the consequences. In verse 13, it's like... It's, it's just like the calm before the storm. It's just when you, when you hear, when John says, I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. I mean, from now on, it's not going to happen. So blessed are those who have listened and who die in the Lord. Blessed are those who, in the first three and a half years, who who looked at the provisions, who acknowledged them, and and even though they were martyred, they came to their senses. A very visual in the rest of chapter fourteen. I mean, you have the angel. You've got you've got Jesus. You. I mean, you see the sickle just taken down the harvest and. quite a visual because now now it's like pouring it all out there. First, chapter 15, verse 1, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign: Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held a harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the song of deliverance, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. See, this is another one. You have every right, Jesus. Continue this going. Just and true are your ways. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Then verse 7, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. He poured it out one after another. There was no provisions in the middle. There was no stopping after four and say, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. There was none of that. Chapter 16, then John, I, John, heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on earth, and boom, first angel, second angel, third angel. In verse 7, again, what was, what was being heard is, yes, Lord, God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Fourth angel, poured out his bowl. And I just want to read verse 9, when all this is going one after the other and, and the earth is just like blowing up. And look at verse 9. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. I mean, isn't this something? that seemed like after the seven seals were opened, after the seven trumpets, it's just like we're made we're made to see that evil and rebellion and wickedness. People have a choice, and if they do not choose the Savior, look at fifth angel poured his bowl out. Sixth angel poured his bowl out. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Doesn't that sound familiar? When Jesus fulfilled and accomplished his purpose, I think those are three of the greatest words when when we hear after all his suffering, he said, It is finished. I did my job. It's complete. And here at the end of judgment, after the seventh bowl of wrath is poured out, the voice from the throne says, it is done. And then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. And no earthquake like it had ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great cities split in three parts. The cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her a cup filled with the wand of the fear of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found from the, from the sky. Huge hailstones of about 100 pounds each fell upon men. Look at this. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Chapters 17 and 18, I think this helps us to see what Babylon represents. Now, fortunately, when we started our study this fall, we were in the book of Daniel, and we saw when the kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity, they were taken by the world power at that time, was Babylon. So... Babylon was a literal territory that controlled the world, but what did Daniel say from, from either Nebuchadnezzar's um, vision, you know? He said, um, yeah, Babylon is the world power now, but then, you know, remember, that, that's the head of this statue, but then the next one was Persia. And we witnessed, we saw, we saw when Babylon went down and Persia became the world empire. And then the next one on, the, on that statue, the next part of the statue, was Rome. And we witnessed, and John is, is witnessing what they're experiencing. Rome is now world power. But now, uh, so how do, we put this, how do we put this together? He is saying that anybody, any world power that thinks they're God, any world leader who thinks that they're me, they're going down. That's what basically 17 and 18 is about. Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes. The Babylon that we know from the book of Daniel (laughs) went down. Persia went down. Rome in John's day was the Babylon. That this is referring to, and Rome went down. Who would ever thought Rome, the powerful Rome, would go down, and it did. So, what about in our day? Remember when we did Daniel? I said we're we're Babylon now. What is he trying to say to us now? Who's our Babylon now? And it is it is the world powers. It is, it is exactly the world as we know it trying to think that they're God. We're seeing world leaders trying to think they're God. The world system, that's the Babylon. But I can't say it enough. What do we see here? It's going down. And then there's going to be one more world power, and that is the Antichrist. When he sits and makes an abomination of desolation, he sits in the temple and and demands everybody to worship him as God. And That's why I just can't wait to turn the page and get to chapter 19. So Babylon, whether it's the literal, whether it's whether it's in John's day, it's Rome. Whether it's in our day, the world, the world coming, trying to come together as a world power, the world system, thinking that it's technology, that's what's reigning. It's people who think they're God. It's the Antichrist. They're going down. 17 and 18, to me, is such a comfort. 18 is a long chapter, but to me, it just keeps saying, you think you're so great. But fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And then we turn the page, at least for me, the way my Bible is laid out. I'm so glad because it's just like you can leave 6 to 18 behind and then you turn the page to chapter 19 and after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah now again I'm just going to throw this out to you and if you don't want to you know if you don't want to take this take but you know Before, when we saw in Revelation 4, we saw the angels, thousands, and the 10,000 upon 10,000 angels. Here, we have, it's called the multitudes. And you know that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul you know, his people in Thessalonica, they they were running scared. They wanted to know that this whole thing about the end times was making them so nervous. And, and so Paul just said, I don't want you ignorant. And you know, when we're ignorant, that's when we fear. Biblical ignorance will cause fear. When you know what the Bible says, when you know what God is saying, when, when the Holy Spirit is revealing truth to you, you find your fear dissipates. So when Paul goes on to say, I just want you to know, I want you to take comfort with these words, that the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then if there's anybody here that are alive and remain that are believers, they'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. This isn't the the rapture, isn't the second coming. It's just the first step of it, taking the church out of this mess so that when the second coming happens, which is Revelation 19, that is the second coming when he comes back and plants his feet on this earth. But you see... I don't want to miss chapter 19. I don't, I don't want to miss being there. I want to be a part of this multitude. I, I want my voice to be part of the roar, shouting hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute, corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted hallelujah. And the smoke from her comes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and were God who was seated on the throne and they cried amen hallelujah and then a voice came from the throne saying praise our God all you his servants you who fear him both small and great then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our Lord God almighty reigns Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The wedding of the lamb. Haven't you been taught that? I've been taught that. Do you want to miss this wedding? I don't want to miss this wedding. That's why I I want to be a part of this. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints and if you're wearing the right clothes, which is the white robe of righteousness because of the, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you have every right to go to that wedding. Then the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, better write this down, John, because it just sounds so good to be true. I want to make sure that people just don't pass it off as, oh, too good to be true, so probably... Isn't he said, write it down, John. These are the true words of God. It had to been such a sight and a sound. This message from this angel. Look at this where John made one mistake. Look at it. He said, At this I fell at the angel's feet to worship him. But very quickly, the angel said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Can I almost hear the angel say, you get up. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then, and then as John got himself you know, back into his right place, Look at, I saw, Johnson, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. His name is the Word of God. But I think too, when we think of the second coming of Christ, you know, if you think it's, it's, I mean, we we love the the thought of trumpets sounding and that kind of thing, but but here, uh, the second. Of coming of Christ. He's coming on a white horse. And remember the blazing eyes and he's got a robe that's already splattered in blood. He has come to judge. Remember he came the first time to save. He's coming the second time to judge. And those blazing eyes. But his name is the word of God. And look at the armies of heaven we're following him riding on white horses dressed in fine linen white and clean see this is the part i i just want to be a part of this i want to be a part of the multitude wearing the the right clothes coming back with him and do you notice the only only weapon the multitudes don't have any weapons Christ doesn't have any weapons except one. His mouth, and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And we know that that's not a literal sword. The sword is the word of God. So while all the evil nations, the rebellious nations, they are ready to blast the rider on the white horse and the multitudes with no weapons. How silly is that? They're ready to take all their technology and probably even their their atomic bomb and they think they're going to just blast them out of the sky. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written just in case they don't know who this rider on the white horse is. It's written right there, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Anybody who thought they were too good to respond to the gospel, they were warned. Then I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This isn't the obedience friends, hell is now open. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. You've heard about the Battle of Armageddon, haven't you? This is where all the nations gathered together thinking that they were going to take that rider on the white horse and all of those Powerless multitudes coming with him thought they're gonna blow him right out of the sky. And all he did was open up his mouth. And then look at the birds. They had their own wedding feast. I thought that was just kind of a, a detail that that Jesus had John write tell him this this is true. Those birds had ate their flesh, they gorged. On their flesh. That is the second coming of Christ. That is Jesus puts his feet on this earth. Now, it's not the new heaven and new earth yet. That's not till next week. Jesus puts his feet on the, the ground of this earth. And I wish that I could explain to you chapter 20, but I just can't. But I think this is one of those chapters because, you know, we don't know because thousand year reign, it says that then I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon. See, the Antichrist and the false prophet are now in hell, but Satan is still here. But this angel grabs and seizes the dragon and binds him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and abyss locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be set free for a short time. I can't understand that. I don't understand that. I know in Scripture it says that a thousand years to the Lord is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. All I know is what it says. I do know, though, that in chapter 20, a very important part of chapter 20, that we must not fail to see. And that is the great white throne. verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of Of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Everything that God said. And there were plenty of warnings. And, you know, we've talked at length kind of about, you know, because with the letters, when he said, "If if you overcome yourself to one of the churches, your name will not be blotted out of the book. Which then says to us that, you know, when he breathes life into us, his, our name is in the book. And then when we come to the age of accountability, if we do not receive him, he will blot out our name out. Then there's other places I noticed where it says, you know, if your name's not written in the book. I mean, so all I think we have to know. You know, because then comes the question, well, then can you lose your salvation? And... I don't think we even have to go there because if you love Jesus and are so grateful for what he's done for you, you're going to want to walk with him and have a relationship with him. And as long as you stay close to him, you never even have to think about it. Instead of spending all of our time and spending all of our wheels wondering how things are going, let's just make the effort of keeping our lives close to him. Because along with people who refuse to believe, along with them, I have to go back to verse 10 because I think this is one of the greatest verses of Scripture. From Genesis 3 until Revelation 20, verse 10, this is the greatest. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's judgment. And I'd like to finish with what Billy Graham says. All Christians do not agree on every detail of what will occur in the final events. But I think it's clear enough that we do, it rattles our cage enough to either know that we better be ready, we better be prepared. It's going to happen. It should motivate us to be not a bit ashamed to express Salvation is in Christ alone. But all Christians do not agree on every detail. The Bible simply has not made it all clear. What is important is that all Christians hold in common that Christ will ultimately return bodily, visibly, and gloriously to reign and rule with his resurrected and transformed saints. he will rule and reign with his resurrected and transformed saints forever and ever and the, all the details will be known will be known in god's timing heavenly father what a lesson and father may we take it serious may we really see how serious this is and that we we do not just close our bibles cuz we don't want to go there father you have put this you've put this here so that we we have something so real to hold on to that we have such proof that you do what you say and there is going to be a time it must take place We don't know when. We don't know exactly how, all the details. But we know that you're going to purge this earth. Father, otherwise there would be no way we could have next week's lesson. But we know we can. And Lord, we know that all is well with our soul. We can sing that old hymn and and. And saying, Lord, haste the day, because our sins, they were bought and paid for, not in part, but the whole. They've been nailed to the cross. And because of that truth, we can say, next, haste the day, bring it on. When our faith, because now we're just accepting this by faith. Our faith will be sight. The clouds will be rolled back. And the trump will sound. Father, as we end this lesson tonight, may we be excited. Father, I know that that's what you intended for your children. And we give you all praise and we worship you. And we, like the four living creatures and the 24 elders, we we bow before you. And only you are worthy because we have done nothing worthy to get all this. And we pray this in her Savior's name. Amen.